Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It is an absolute privilege to be speaking here today, and I really mean that. And um, as Dave said, if you don't know me, I'm Tom. I've been coming to Mosaic for about two years with my wife and my three-year-old, who's in the back. I wish I had a three-year-old who'd sit through a sermon, but we just didn't get one. Um, <laughs> I am from an awesome city called Bradford. Thank you. Got a little fan club over here that have come all the way. Um, and um, we came to Mosaic after about two years of trying to find a church. We left the church and we'd kind of been visiting different churches. And the thing that we really loved about Mosaic was, was two things, really. Um, they preach the Bible, and Jesus is the center of everything, and that's all we were looking for. And we've been really blessed to be here over the last couple of years. And um, as Dave mentions, I've worked with him in a professional capacity as well. And uh, I'm slightly nervous because that kind of roles are a little bit reversed now. And I'm thinking Dave might kind of use this opportunity to give me a few rebukes after the message. Look, you know, you really need to be practicing that bit of what you said there. Um, so fantastic. Well, the, the title of my message today if you're looking for one, it's called The Christian Athlete. And uh, my brother-in-law yesterday said, Tom, what are you preaching on today? And I said, The Christian Athlete. And he said, what, the uh, long jumper guy? I was like, no, no, being a Christian athlete. And um, in 1996, um, a very famous sports shoe brand had kind of a big advert out for the Olympics. And it went, you do not win the silver medal, you lose the gold medal. And kind of that line sums up, doesn't it, the essence of the games. It's all about winning. Now, how many of you guys have ever entered a race with the objective of losing? All right. How many of you ever trained for a competition and thought, well, you know what? I am training to be second best. I'm training to come third in this competition. Uh, You know, if, if that's you, you know, you're a little bit of a problem, you know. I mean, and I tell you who understands this really well, church pastors. All right. Now, you hear a church pastor speak, you think, wow, what a humble man, what a gracious, merciful person that was. You know, bless the Lord, that was just a wonderful sermon. And like the following week, you get like church football competition, and you'd see the church pastor turn into this crazy, competitive maniac playing football, all right? It's like, what happened to the vicar? And um, I mean, not in this church, of course, you know, the leaders in this church, you know, humble people, all right? But there's that kind of element of competition. You know, they want to win. And I bet there's a lot of you in here as well, all right? And you've said to your kids, you know what, little Johnny, little Jessica, school sports day, it's all about the taking part. Don't worry about winning. Do you know what? That is a lot of rubbish, right? If it was my kid, I'd be like, listen, you better win that race, all right? You ain't showing me up today. You better win that race. This is about winning, all right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, and you might think, well, who's this crazy guy? Why have they given him the pulpit? But I'm telling you, all right, the Apostle Paul agrees with me, okay? So if you want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 9, and verse 24, I think we've got it up on the screen there. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I, may, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And as we come to kind of consider chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, we find this graphic illustration that the Apostle Paul uses from the world of the athletic games. And kind of the question is, what's the big idea? What's the, what's the purpose of this illustration? And to kind of understand that, we just have to re- rewind just a little bit to verse 19 to put this illustration in context. And so in verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Now what Paul is introducing to us here is a concept which I've called identifying with the culture. And he gives us an example of, well, a few examples of how he does that. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. And he says, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, and so on and so on. So what we mean by identifying with the culture is this. It means that Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to cross the lines of culture in order to win people to Christ. Paul will do whatever it takes, even if that means putting aside his freedom, okay, adapting himself, taking, taking a different approach to life in order to win people to Jesus. And of course, he's not talking about an anything-goes kind of Christianity, okay, because we know that that's not consistent with Scripture. But what he's saying is, okay, it's, it, it's not a license to change the message, to make it more acceptable and more culturally acceptable. It's not a license, all right, to kind of be pragmatic and disregard obedience to the Scriptures. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is this. In order to win people to Jesus, it's the messenger that has to change, not the message. In order to win people to Christ, it's the messenger that must be trimmed, that must be adapted and remolded not the message. So here's the big idea. In this passage of this athletic illustration, Paul is dealing with mission. He's dealing with evangelism and how we tell people about the Lord Jesus and our approach to telling people about the Lord Jesus. And the idea is this. Paul is comparing our approach to missions with the discipline and the focus and the hard work of athletic training. All right, that's the big idea. Okay, the work required to be a top athlete, the, the work required to be a top performer, the sweat, the endurance, the strenuous work, Paul's comparing that with the hard work that the Christian must undergo okay, to win people to Christ. Now, we're looking at the book of Corinthians, and Paul wrote this to the Corinthian people. And what we have to understand in Corinth was that Corinth was a bit of a sports-crazy city, all right, it was a Greek city, so they would have been very, very familiar with the games. 
there would have been, of course, the Olympic Games every four years, which was kind of the highlight of their calendar, right? And, but Corinth also hosted um, a games in itself, and these were called the Isthmian Games. And every two years, Corinth, this ev- Corinth hosted this event where all the athletes would descend on their city for the Isthmian Games. And it was very kind of like what we see today. So there would have been a stadium, there was a kind of a theater, a hippodrome, and all these athletes would come and kind of participate in the games. And there would be things that we'd be very familiar with, you know, kind of foot races, 100 meter dash, 200 meters, um, wrestling, boxing, um, throwing the discus and the javelin, and check this out, all right? War chariot racing. Now, if I was a kid, you know what I would have been going to see? War chariot racing. All right, so there was a real buzz around the place. And it also had a kind of a bit of a quirky side as well, so that in addition to kind of all your hardcore sports, you'd have like poetry and singing and reading and quite how those events are supposed to be kind of athletic, I've no idea, but you know, they were, they were part of the games. And there was no kind of permanent accommodation, right? There's no travel lodge in them. There's no kind of premier in with budget family rooms and full breakfast and all that kind of thing, right? The people lived in, uh, and the people sort of went and stayed in tents, and they stayed in the surrounding fields. And of course, Paul was a tent maker. So Paul would have fixed people's tents, and he would have made tents for people to kind of come and stay in the fields and watch the games. And of course, he would have used that opportunity to uh, share the gospel with people and to tell them about Christ along with his colleagues Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, and so from the Corinthian point of view, this example of athletics would have been very, very uh, familiar to them. They would have seen the athletes preparing for the great games. They would have seen the kind of uh, strenuous commitment and dedication that the athletes would have kind of exemplified as they prepared for the games. And we kind of got a taste of that last year at the London Olympics when kind of athletes from all around the world descended on the UK. And there was just a real buzz, wasn't there, that when um, kind of around London and the kind of it was all over the press and, you know, um, you kind of saw that the city was just packed with people and there was just this real excitement and atmosphere around the games. And that's like what Corinth would have experienced. And one of the most enjoyable things was kind of hearing these stories of all these amazing athletes that were preparing for the races and the, and the games. And one of these, um, I picked two examples, but one of the first one of these is Jessica Ennis. And I picked her because I just thought she was just absolutely fantastic when she kind of recovered from the injury that she had and wasn't able to compete in the Beijing Olympics. And I just want to give you a brief insight into how Jessica trained for the games. So it says, Jessica Ennis trained twice a day at the English Institute of Sport for 30 hours a week. She does a combination of strength building exercises, running, weightlifting, and specific practice work for each sport. Her coach comments, we constantly adjusted her training regime so that her performance did not plateau. It's taken her 14 years to get where she has. Her workload would snap most people. By using video-based replays, her technique was examined in detail, and by examining her performance frame by frame, they were able to tweak her athletic performance to the most minute of details. Okay, another person who I've picked is Ma Long. And the reason why I've picked this example is because I'm a massive table tennis fan. Okay, any other table tennis fans in the room? All right, a few people from work smiling at me because they know in our staff room we have a table tennis table and I'm always at the top of the ladder. Um, and um, 
kind of, right, this is just a phenomenal example. Right, Ma Long became the world number one table tennis player in, uh, when he was like 21 or 22, right? And just to put that in context, right, Chinese, born in a country where kids come out of the womb holding a tennis bat, table tennis bat, all right? Everyone in China plays table tennis. It's their national sport. It's the most popular, most played racket sport in the world, all right? And this kid, 21, becomes the best player in the world. I mean, that is a seriously incomprehensible achievement. And kind of um, from the moment he picked up a table tennis bat, his coach had him doing hundreds and thousands of practice um, of kind of a forehand and backhand, practicing the stroke just so many times. And kind of um, China's coach points out, he said, the principle behind bettering the skills is making mistakes, then hard work, improvement, making more mistakes, and then working them harder and for further improvement. All right? And what he said was to improve to the best sort of standard, you have to improve the time and stroke against loops and distinguish the protracted rally and zone of counterattack. Now, I have absolutely no idea what that means, but I don't think he was training him for ping pong at Butlins. Um, and I use these examples, okay, to help us put the verses into context about athletic training and applying that to missions. And so three principles I want to extract from this passage are as follows. And we have fitness for the team, focused on the goal, and foreseeing the prize. Now, for the first point that Paul makes, which is fitness for the team, he uses the example of a boxer. And he says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, if you know anything about boxing, you'll know the sport of boxing is all about preparation. All right? The champion becomes a champion in, in the gym. Okay? They're recognized in the ring, but it's all about the preparation they do behind the scenes. All right? And Paul draws this parallel to boxing to show us about the discipline and the preparation that's needed to win people to Christ. But notice who Paul's boxing. He's not boxing the enemy and he's not boxing the air. He's boxing himself. Now, this isn't an excuse, right, to kind of do anything silly now. All right? He's not talking about kind of like hurting himself to try and be more pleasing to God or anything like that. But when he's talking about striking a blow to his body, he's talking about being all things to all people. In order to, and in order to fulfill that, okay, the body must be brought into submission. We must deny ourselves of the many things that we want to do. Keith talked last week about freedom and responsibility. We're free to do many things, but our first responsibility is to the gospel. And if we fail to make our, to make our bodies a slave and kind of bring our bodies into submission, Paul says we risk being disqualified or in sports talk, thrown off the team. And a really awesome example of this is a missionary called Jim Elliott. And I just want to tell you a little bit about his story to kind of bring this principle home. Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries killed in a mission um, trip um, and a mission operation to uh, an indigenous tribe in Ecuador, an unreached group of savage people. And kind of Jim's preparation for his missionary journey 
Just listen to some of the things that um, Jim undertook. He underwent physical conditioning, physical discipline, um, and kind of um, he joined kind of you know wrestling teams and things to to, to get physically strong for this mission. He learnt um, from a local missionary family about what it meant to have a kind of a missionary life. And he learned Greek, believing that it would help him in his personal study and make it easier to translate the scriptures into the language of the people that he was reaching. He did not automatically pursue a romantic relationship with the woman who did eventually become his wife, believing that it wasn't the right time for him to do that. Um, and he wanted to kind of put God first in that situation. Like I say, he did eventually marry her, but he felt that it was a distraction to his calling at the time he met her. He learned to write the language of the people of Ecuador, and his quest to reach this group of people ultimately cost him his life. And I would really recommend to you to um, have a look into Jim Elliot. There's plenty of stuff. Thank God for Wikipedia. And, um, you know, he, there was a film made about his life called Through the Great of Splendor, which I've heard some wonderful things about. It's a really humbling example, isn't it? And I kind of want to ask you today as well, what is your mission field? Who are the people or the specific area that God's called you to? Where's he called you to be a faithful witness? Is it your street? Is it council estate? Is it your workplace or your place of study? Is it to a certain group of people? Maybe sort of a certain ethnic group, European people, or even a, a kind of community like the traveling community? Or is it to people of another religion? Maybe Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. Or maybe it's even to another city or even another country. And how are you making your body a slave? How are you bringing your feelings and your flesh into submission? Are you denying yourself of even the things that you have the freedom to do, but that don't put the gospel as the first place? And what energy and strenuous effort are you applying to reach the people that God's called you to? This is the point that Paul's making of using this example. And if we could look at your spiritual physique, if you understand what I mean, do you kind of look like an athlete who's fit for the team, who's fit for purpose? Have you spent time, you know, kind of conditioning and preparing? Or do you look a bit like a spiritual couch potato? It's challenging stuff, isn't it? It's, this message really humbled me when I was preparing it. I mean, really humbled me. And... I just want to ask you, what can you do to be a more faithful witness? Just some ideas. Attending a local community event, making friends with people on your street, talking to your neighbors more. Invite them over for a barbecue. Um, invite them over for um, something to eat. Learn another language. Do you need to go and spend some time learning about another religion? Do you need to move house? Move on to an estate? Move to another country? Maybe just think about some of those questions. And then Paul uses another example. He uses the example of a runner. And you can't really talk about running without talking about Usain Bolt, can you? But I'm going to come to him in a minute. And to make this second point, Paul kind of says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. And Paul used, kind of, uses two kind of illustrations. He says, there's somebody who runs aimlessly, 
like your kid when you tell them, don't run to win, and somebody who runs to win. And if any of you have ever played competitive sport or trained for anything, you don't train with the objective of not winning, do you? That's ridiculous. All right? Um, and it's the same with athletes. They don't, ra they don't train for the sake of running a race. They train to win. And in the um, Isthmian Games, there wasn't even, they didn't even reward second and third place. There was only one reward, and that was for the winner. So, in a spiritual sense, let's, talking, let's talk first of all about running aimlessly. These are some of the things that characterize somebody who runs aimlessly, okay? Compromise. Indifference to missing opportunities to share the gospel. Drifting along, doing the normal good things, just doing the bare minimum, but not really expecting anything, not really believing God for anything. This kind of person's life tends to be beset with what the Bible calls kind of thorns. They may hear of an outreach, a great opportunity to serve, um, an opportunity to kind of do something for the sake of the gospel, but, you know, they just don't want to go. They don't, it's not important to them that particular night. They just decide that they'll make an excuse and they can't be bothered. Prayer for people that don't know Christ, they're indifferent to that. Um, they don't keep a watch on their life to make sure that they're salt and light and that they're a good witness to people. Contrasted with the person that's training to win, here are some characteristics. Watching their life with the hope of being a witness to others. Constantly praying for the lost and people who don't know Christ. Looking for opportunities to share the gospel. If there's an outreach on, this person just wants to be there. And even if they can't spend the whole time there, do you know what? They'll make a sacrifice to be there because they know that even a few minutes could make a difference to somebody's eternity. All right. And I, I kind of, um, I've got a pastor friend and he's, he's, he's a really, he just exemplifies this so well. And I said to him, look, can you just give me an idea of some people who've really just hit the nail on the head with this point? And he told me about a guy called James Stewart, not the actor, but the early 20th century Scottish evangelist who as a convert, when he was 16 years old, worked in a factory in the face of much provocation. And every morning, he was praying for the souls of the people he worked with. And he begged God in prayer that he would not respond in retaliation when people wound him up with a bad word that kind of ruined his testimony to them. And then he also told me about a guy called John Dees, who's a good friend of his, who is an American guy who's a missionary currently in India. And he said while working in the USA, John would spend his break times at work praying for the souls of the people he worked with. And this had a double effect. As well as softening their hearts, it also reminded John to be conscious of how he acted um, around his colleagues and not to do anything that would kind of ruin his witness to them. And so let's bring it home to us the hard bit, <laughs> from a practical application point of view, are you focused on winning people to Christ? Do you have a goal, like a runner, they're just running towards that finish line? You, know, you never see a 100-meter runner just kind of running around the place aimlessly. Those guys who are on that start line are 100% focused on that goal, aren't they? Are you focused on the goal of winning to Christ? Do you, people to Christ, do you have a goal? 
We said we'd talk a little bit about Usain Bolt. In an interview, someone asked him, as the fastest person ever, what are the obstacles that you must overcome to maintain that? What is the hardest part of being the fastest man in the world? And his answer was, completely without hesitation, maintaining focus. Staying focused to achieve my goals. Losing focus is not an option. Is the same true in your life and mine? Or is your life full of thorns, full of distractions, even good things that shouldn't take priority? Entertainment, worldly pursuits, like I say, good things that need to be set aside. Things that keep the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel and reaching people from, for Jesus as being a priority. And finally, the principle that Paul gives us from this illustration of athletics. Foreseeing the prize. He says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This has just absolutely got to be the motivation, hasn't it, for any athlete. Seeing the prize, kind of seeing that medal. And the reason I put this up there is in, in the Corinthian games, this is all they would win. It was like a kind of pine uh, crown sort of thing. You know, they'd undergo such strenuous, rigorous, disciplined preparation for this thing here. I mean, just, just don't understand it. Um, they'd go through all that pain just to win that prize, which is temporal, Paul says. So what helps a Jim Elliot, a John Dees, an Apostle Paul endure? What helps us endure suffering for Christ? All right, And that is, like Paul says, we do it to get a crown or a prize that lasts forever. Okay, the Apostle Paul, right, endured serious pain for the gospel. In 2 Corinthians, he says he was, he five times received 39 lashes. Can you imagine the fourth time? Thinking if I go in and preach again, I'm going to come out of here with another set of 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. And what do you think kept him going? What do you think keeps us going when it's hard? And I'm sure most of us haven't got it as hard as that. Right? Seeing the prize. Union with Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. And of course, all the souls that will pass into eternity because we've been faithful to the gospel. The Apostle Paul kind of rounds this up really nicely in his kind of final letter to Timothy. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to the, all those that have longed for his appearing. I want to ask you, do you have an eternal perspective? Or do you just have a temporal one? When it's hard, do you just see the kind of here and now and the kind of sacrifice of the moment? 
or are your eyes fixed on that prize of hearing those words, good and faithful servant? And finally, I want to show how Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus, our example, fitness for the team, focused on the goal, foreseeing the prize. He just absolutely exemplifies these principles for us with perfection. He was absolutely prepared for his mission, fit and prepared. We see the boy in the temple learning from the teachers. We see the apprentice to his father, Joseph. We see evidence of his preparation when he overcomes temptation in the wilderness. We see his spiritual disciplines and the strength of his character. We see him focused on the mission, coming to seek and save that which was lost. He preached, he taught, he cast out demons, he cleansed the lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He never missed an opportunity to love and share his love and the gospel with people. And ultimately, he knew his mission was to go to the cross where he would die for our sin in our place, where he foresaw the prize. The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was the joy? Seeing your face and mine in eternity with him. On the cross, he finished the race, crying out, it is finished. That's it. The price for sin has been paid in full. And he rose again, proving that he was indeed the Son of God. Our perfect example. So in closing, our response to the message. And like I said, this is I, I have been so humbled while preparing this message because I see so much of this that's just not in my life. I'll be completely honest and vulnerable. And there, there are probably two responses that um, we'll have in the room. Some of you will be feeling just absolutely inspired to just go for it and go hard for the gospel. And I want to just encourage you, do you know what? Just go for it. Run with it. Take that energy and take what God's imparted to you and just run with it and go hard. And there are others of you, like me, who will be feeling extremely crushed by what you've heard, okay, that you fall far from the standard that the Bible requires, okay? And I want to encourage you guys that Jesus knew that you'd fail, okay? And that's why he was the perfect Christian athlete for us in our place. And I want you to know that that forgiveness and that grace he has for us is what should propel you now to Give yourself to him once again and ask him for that grace to go forward with how the Bible tells us to. Okay? He forgives our failures and knowledge. Sorry, he forgives our failures and our knowledge of this forgiveness propels us to give it our best shot. And I just want to, in my second close, finally, Romans 12 verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice. Now, we only have one life, okay? We have one life, and the Bible tells us to give it away, okay? It tells us to give it away. Now, how can we do that, all right? We have one life. It's hard to give it up. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the answer is this, the only medicine that's strong enough for us to motivate us to give away our lives is what God has done for us in Christ, the mercy of God, as Paul says. That is the greatest motivation in the Christian life, okay? It's not 
kind of all the paraphernalia and all the events and all the hype and all that, okay, all that dies. It's not even, in a sense, reaching the lost, if you understand what I mean. The thing that propels us to give away our lives is the mercy of God displayed in Christ. It's a revelation of what God has done for us in Christ, a revelation of his mercy and what he's done on the cross. And that's the medicine. Come back to the cross. Ask God to fill your heart with a greater knowledge and greater revelation of what he's done for you in Christ. And that is not only what will send you, but that is what will, that is what will keep you there.